0: And please turn to 1 Samuel 29, three passages left, three chapters left in our study of 1 Samuel, by my count. I'm no math major, but I think that all adds up, 29, 30, 31, 8 to 10 year olds, they can't hear me, they're gone already, okay. This is just a way to teach them responsibility, they're on it, they've got it, all right. If you are still here and you're 8 to 10 and would like to go to a class specifically uh, for you to learn, you, you can certainly do that or you can stay here. So there we go. First Samuel 29, please follow along as I read, and I'll just remind you real quick before I read, this account really follows along the heels of 28, 1 through 2. So uh, there was an interruption with something about Saul that we looked at last week, and now this account picks up from chapter 28 verses 1 and 2, and I'll actually start by reading those, okay? So 28, 1 and 2, and then over on, skip forward to chapter 29. All right, chapter 28 verses 1 and 2. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life, chapter 29. Now, the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistine. sorry, and the command, uh, with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another and dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Entitled this message, Our Mysterious and Merciful Rescuer. Our Mysterious and Merciful Rescuer. Similar to a couple of other previous passages in First Samuel, this passage has no mention of God. No mention of God from a narrator or David. There actually is a reference to Him by Achish. He refers to the God of Israel in a moment, but God explicitly isn't referenced throughout this passage like He is in a number of other places. So it's interesting to see what God does while being behind the scenes, if you will, and what God does here is He rescues David. He rescues sinful David, untrusting David. We've seen that earlier in 1 Samuel. Even the fact that David is with the Philistine army uh, reminds us of the fact that he fled to them for safety. God, through a prophet, told him to go to Judah He's going to be the king one day. God told him to go to Judah, even though that was a scary situation to be in, scary location to be in. God told him to go to Judah, but David went over to the Philistines for protection and security. So in this little section, these last few chapters of 1 Samuel, we're shown that David doesn't always trust in the living God. He's not perfect in his response to God. And so we see God still... Even though David is untrusting, even though David has disobeyed him, we still see God rescue David, so our mysterious and merciful rescuer. It's interesting to see where some of our English idioms and phrases and sayings come from. Uh, you've heard the term, in a pickle. Uh, in th- that, that term comes from the phrase, when, when you're in a tight spot, when you're in a difficult spot, kind of like a cucumber is in a jar. By the way, I didn't know that a pickle was a cucumber until just a few years ago. So if you're like me, hey, I'm here to, here to teach. So very interesting. I never knew that. So um, they didn't teach that in seminary. Uh, had to find out the hard way. Uh, But we get the phrase, uh, in a pickle, because it's the cucumber that's in the jar being tossed around, being, being under pressure. So there came the phrase, in a pickle. When you're mixed up, disoriented, and that's where we get that phrase. Well, David here is in a pickle. He's on the run from Saul. He then, as I just said, has fled, not to a cave. That was one thing. But he's fled to the enemy of Israel. He's fled to the Philistines. And we know from a couple weeks ago that he's been living in a Philistine city for about a year and four months. And the king of the Philistines, or the leader of the Philistines, Achish, has thought that David's been going on these raids against the enemies of the Philistines, the Israelites. He thought that David's been raiding the Israelites And David hasn't been doing that. He lied about that. He's been going and raiding other people groups and bringing back the spoil to King Achish. So there's a lot of deception going on here. It's funny how as Achish goes through uh, and recites uh, David's innocence in chapter 29, it kind of is a theme of this chapter. Achish is like, you've done nothing wrong. You've been honest with me. And we're kind of sitting here as the reader going, he's lied to you the whole time. You don't know what he's been doing. So, that's why I say it's, it's a mysterious way that God has rescued David and also shows the mercy of God to rescue David. So, we'll see this morning this passage break down in two parts, two features of God's rescuing work, two features of God's rescuing work. Here's the first. God is mysterious in rescuing. God is mysterious in rescuing. This is, our outline going to follow the title of the sermon, okay? So, He's mysterious in rescuing, and the second point is going to be He's merciful in rescuing. So, here's uh, verses 1 through 5 show that He's mysterious in rescuing. He he rescues in mysterious ways. They're not the ways we might think He would rescue. Verse 1, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, again reminding us that this is before the last chapter, the one we just read about Saul. This isn't chronological. All the Philistine forces are at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. So, they're about to go to battle. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? Now, this isn't unfamiliar to us. We've seen this throughout 1 Samuel. There are times when because there are so many different, there isn't a standing military, there's not a standing police force, so people would defend property and one another by just having maybe a band of people, 50 people, and we'll defend your home, we'll defend your sheep, and they would sell themselves out to to defend different territories and different areas. Well, people would also join military forces or, or, or people assembling for battle during certain times, they would join them to fight with them. So, someone might have been from one land, Moab, let's say, but they also would have joined the Ammonites maybe if that was more advantageous. So, the idea of people joining different sides isn't foreign in the ancient Near East. So, the idea that David would be joining the Philistines or Israelites would be joining the Philistines isn't in and of itself a foreign idea. But… This group of lords, of the Philistines, has a problem with David being the one that's joining them to fight. And you'll see why in a moment. But that's what's happening here. David is joining the Philistines. And again, just think about where we're at and act, act as if you've never heard anything else in Israelite history. King David, the one that God said would lead and rule over Israel, is about to attack and go to war with Israel. How in the world is God going to fix this?" Well, here we go. God works in mysterious ways. Verse 3, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, servant of Saul? He, I mean, he's, he's the runner-up to… or he's the next in line to the king that we're going to kill. Like, like he, he wants to kill Saul as bad as we do, Achish is saying. Who's been with me now, David, has been with me now for days and years. One year, four months to be precise. And since he's deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. Listen, we're going on the second year of David being with me. This guy has done nothing wrong. I find no fault in him. Again, we know he's been lying to you the whole time. But in Achish's mind, this guy's been loyal to me. This guy can fight with us against Israel. He's been fighting with us against Israel. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. They're angry at Achish for his decision here. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place which you've assigned him. Remember, Achish gave David a particular city and told David to live there, stay there. So David and his wives and family and his 600 men all stayed in that city. So the lords of the Philistines are saying, send him back to the city that you gave to him. Let him go back there. He's not going to go fight with us. Send the man back, picking up in four, that he may return to the place to which you've assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. Now, now, here's what they're thinking, and, and it makes sense. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? So they're saying, listen, If this battle starts to turn against us and the Israelites start to have some success and David needs to be reconciled back to his Lord, his God, the God of the Israelites, how would he offer a sacrifice to God? It'd be with us. He'd sacrifice us. It'd be with our heads, the heads of the men here. Now, why would they say the heads of the men here? Well, because David's already cut off a famous Philistine head Goliath struck him, went down, David cut off his head. David's already done that to the Philistines. So, they're saying, hey, if David wants to get back in the good graces with the God of Israel, then how would he do it? He'd kill us and offer us to his God. And then this, verse 5… They recite the song that's been sung all throughout 1 Samuel and all throughout this region. Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So, here you see God start to rescue David by even using unbelievers to free him, if you will. I mean, we could ask the question, there's no such thing as if in the providence of God. I mean, it's just the way he designs all of it. But let's just say, what if they wouldn't have had a hard time with David fighting with them? What would happen? Would David have actually killed Israelites? Would he have killed the people of God? Would he have killed the people that he's supposed to lead? Don't know. But there's no such thing as that happening because God intervened. God intervened and used these Philistine lords who had a problem to save David, to rescue David, to bring him to peace. Achish will say, Go in peace. And David does go back in peace. He doesn't have to fight against Israel. And we'll see in the coming chapters how he's ultimately rescued and brought back to Israel. And you can pick up the story then throughout 2 Samuel. But God works in mysterious ways. His rescuing ways are often mysterious they're not the ways we would think that they would happen and here he uses pagan unbelievers to quote-unquote rescue David God will do that he will use enemies of himself enemies of him to to end up benefiting his people you see this ultimately in the cross don't you You see this in the cross of Jesus Christ. Judas goes out to betray Jesus. They arrest him. He's executed. Oh, we achieve salvation through his cross. God often will use his enemies to end up blessing his people. There's a story Dale Ralph Davis tells of a a Christian woman who was poor, praying, praying, For God to provide for her, she didn't have much food left, and so she prayed. She would pray out loud, God, please give me the food I need. Please give me the food I need. Uh, We're not used to that type of prayer in today's day and age in this country here with most Christians, but there are people all over the world and throughout history who've needed the Lord to provide their next meal, and they didn't know where it was going to come from. So this lady would pray out loud, and she's praying, Lord, provide me what I need, provide me what I need. Well, she had an atheist neighbor who overheard the prayer and came up with a plan. The atheist neighbor went and bought bread and put it at the doorstep kind of as a joke, a mocking joke, and so left this bread at the doorstep, and the next day the lady found it, and she was telling her neighbors and friends and everyone about about the, the bread. Look what God provided for me, and this atheist neighbor accosted her. The account says, informed her that he had been the one who heard her prayer and brought the bread and placed it on her step, kind of like... See, I did it. To which she replied, well, he, he said this. It was not then God who had answered her prayer, but the lady was armed and she said this. Okay, she, her response. Oh, yes, it was the Lord who answered my prayer, even though he used the devil to do it. <laughs> God does that a lot of times throughout Scripture. He will use his enemies to end up benefiting and bringing salvation to his people. Think of the prophet Habakkuk, what happened there. People of Israel dishonoring the Lord. And Habakkuk prophet says, Lord, do something. And the Lord said, oh, I'll do something. It's just not in a way that you thought, that you would think would happen. God works in mysterious ways. He says, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans. They, they were even more wicked than the Israelites. Maybe that's debatable. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, and they're going to go after my people. And my people will learn discipline, and they will come back and return to me. And Habakkuk's thinking, oh my goodness, this is not what I prayed. This is not what I planned. But God did rescue his people. It's just not in a way they always think. He, 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 it's not according to the plan that they think that he would, he would execute. It's different than their plans. This is the way God still works. He, he, he brings us through difficulties. If you ever pray the prayer, Lord, make me more holy. Make me more like your son. Buckle up you don't know where he will lead you. But you can you can know this, he's always faithful to his own. He's always faithful to his own. Whether he drives them up mountains or through valleys, he's faithful to his own. And God is being faithful to David here in a very mysterious way. I have a friend of mine who would not mind at all me sharing the story. He's shared the story a number of times. He uh, was had a great position at a at a company that he was working for, uh, successful, he and his wife started to have children, and this is all kind of working out. And uh, there was a, a customer of his uh, that, that used his company's services, and this customer uh, just every year would renew their contract and and they'd stay with, with my friend's company. And and so it just kind of became a repeat thing. Well, uh, my friend thought, you know, they're gonna renew with us anyway, I'll just kind of forge the signatures and just kind of get the contract done and make it happen. Well, this company that was using my friend's company's services decided they were going to go with a different company. And so, they called and said, we're going to be done using your services, to which people in my friend's company said, well, you can't, you signed a contract with us. And they said, no, we didn't. Yes, you did, it's right here. They said, we never signed that. Well, it came down, it became known that my friend had actually falsified that contract because he thought, well, I mean, I'll just save time. And I'll, I'll never forget the day he called me. He says, I got to tell you what I did. I've been fired. This is what I did. I was wrong. I, I've told my boss. I told everyone. I told my wife. Um, I messed up. I called, I called their company. He said, I, I messed up. And he tells this story now freely. And to see how the Lord guided him and his family through that, sinned against the Lord, but still cared for and guided by the Lord. He's now serving in a different company, has a good job, faithful to the Lord, raising a family, and the Lord's really blessed him greatly. And we might hear that and go, well, that's not fair. Yeah, that's what salvation looks like. Nobody has earned favor with God. Christ earned it for us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. All of us have sinned against the Lord. So God determines to rescue David, even though David was not trusting the Lord in this season of his life. Now, of course, grace is never a license to sin, is it? Because of grace, we want to then obey all the more out of hearts of gratitude. But we see God rescue us so often in mysterious ways. You think of Paul writing to Timothy, telling Timothy that he knows that he is among the chief of sinners. Paul saying that he himself is the chief of sinners. Paul knows his sin. Paul even knew the sin of people who were persecuting him. So Paul's life was really enveloped with sin, like our lives. We still sin and people sin against us. And Paul said this at the end of his life, he told this to Timothy, the Lord will rescue me, rescue, there's our word, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul knew that God was a rescuer. No sin could keep us from being rescued by God. Paul knew that God was a rescuer. David is seeing it here in front of us in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. I'll remind you, just to bring this home, God's ways of rescuing are mysterious Christian who's discouraged and in a jam, in a difficult spot, trust in the character of God. Don't think that you know how it all has to work out. Throw yourself on his mercy and say, I trust you and your character to guide me. I don't know how you'll do it. I don't know when you'll do it. I don't know what you'll use, who you'll use, but I know that you will rescue me ultimately from all troubles and all tribulation. Think about being Israel, being chased by the Egyptians and coming up to the sea. We're done. That's why the Bible says later on that his way is through the sea. His way is mysterious. Think about Christ being betrayed, being arrested, all the disciples leaving, we're done. No, His salvation is through a cross. His ways are mysterious, but you can trust in Him. Second feature of God's rescuing work, let's look at God's merciful rescuing. So you've seen His mysterious rescuing, and now as this plays out, we'll see God's mercy. And really, you'll see the mercy of God. The word mercy isn't used, but I'll show you at the end how God is merciful in this situation. God's merciful rescuing. Verse 6, Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, there's the one reference to the living God of Israel, As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. Hey, David, if it was up to me because of your, your honesty, snicker, snicker, because of your honesty, You should go in and out and fight with me in war. I see no problems with you. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. It's not by decision, it's their decision. Verse 7. So go back now and go peaceably, which David did. Go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now verse 8 is interesting. If you were David, you'd think, no war? All right, let's go. And maybe to keep the ruse up, I don't know why David said this. He says this, and David said to Achish, But what have I done? He, he, he's arguing to go to battle against Israel. What have I done? What have, I found in, what, what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Interesting. Why can't I go fight against your enemies? And we know that the king's enemies are David's own people. They're supposed to lead and care for. Now, is David really wanting to go after Israel? I don't think so. The text doesn't say. I think this is David keeping up the charade. Come on, let me go. No, I'm not going to let you go. I think it's that type of thing, but it's still pretty interesting. Verse 9. And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. I mean, this is almost comedic, right? He's not blameless at all. Almost as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, notice these last two verses. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So, David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So, the Philistines go to fight. David got up and went back to the temporary town that he was living in. Now, what word do you see repeated three times in the last two verses? Bible quiz. You can talk back to me. It's okay. Morning. Now then, rise early in the morning. With the servants of your lord who came to you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light another reference to the morning so david set out with his men early in the morning i've told you before repetition in hebrew narrative is telling you something so what could this be telling us well let's go back and i want to remind you last week we looked at saul saul dishonored the lord did not care about the worship of God just wanted God to save him from different situations he was in. Saul, an unfaithful king, almost entirely his whole life. Saul does not listen to God, continually fails to listen to God throughout his life. And so God distances himself from Saul. God doesn't answer Saul. And how do we learn? What do we learn happened at the very end? Saul was told by Samuel, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. You're going to be with me and your sons are going to be with me. That's in the grave. You're going to die because you did not listen to the voice of your Lord. Now, let's go back and notice the end of chapter 28, verse 24. This is in reference to Saul. Now, the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So, just get the picture. Saul goes away rejected by God and goes out into the night. I told you last week this would not have been Saul eating this wonderful dinner going, all right, guys, let's go. Let's get out of here. Saul, we know, was already having trouble with the prophecy that he was going to die the next day. And so, Saul has to be convinced to eat and he goes away, and I don't know if he went away with his head down, but I imagine it probably was. If his head wasn't down, his spirit definitely was down. Goes away into the night, knowing that he's been judged by God and will die. David goes out in the morning. It's an interesting contrast there. And as you know, the, the writer of 1 Samuel inserted the account of Saul in between the account of David and the Philistines. He's trying to show you a contrast. So Saul, discouraged, rejected by God, going out at night. David, not perfect himself, but accepted by God, God's anointed one, going out in peace, not in judgment, going out in peace in the morning. Now, turn to the end of 2 Samuel. This theme comes up again. If you're at the men's breakfast yesterday, I pointed out this passage to you. 2 Samuel 23, at the end of David's life, he gives this final speech. And Samuel has been a book about authority, right? We've seen it from the very beginning Eli and his worthless sons. Samuel, we've seen David, we've seen Saul. It's just a study in leadership bad leadership, good leadership, all of it imperfect leadership, but some of it anointed by God, David, some of it rejected by God, Saul's leadership. So, in this book about kings coming and going and bad leadership and good leadership and God rescuing His people through all of it, David says at the end of his life, here's what I want you to understand. And he talks about the importance and the blessing that good leadership or authority is. Notice what he says, chapter 23, verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. Now stop, don't look down. Don't ruin it. What a (laughs) buildup. I am the son of Jesse. This is the oracle of the man who was raised on high. I was raised by the Lord on high. I was anointed by the God of Jacob. I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. Okay, what are you going to tell us? I mean, he's just leading with who he is and what God's done for him. And then he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. And we say, okay, then what's he going to speak? Tell us. His word is on my tongue. Okay, what is it? The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. Now notice this, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. What's this showing us? When a man rules well, when a person rules well, when a mother, a father rules well, it's like the light, the morning dawn showing light onto the people that they rule over. And the light is a a term of blessing. You go out and, oh, the light of the morning. When one rules rightly, it's like the morning light to the people under their leadership. This book, again, I told you, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were written together. We're the ones that separated them, written together. This book uses light as blessing, darkness as cursing. This happens throughout the scriptures also. It's not just the writer of Samuel here. But back to 1 Samuel 29, Saul goes out in darkness, rejected by God. David goes out in the morning, in the morning, in the morning, rescued by God. Now, here's what you should not do with the Scriptures. You should say, well, David didn't trust the Lord, but it worked out for him. So maybe I won't trust the Lord and work out for me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Trust in the Lord. But listen, your standing isn't based on your obedience. Your standing before God is based on his mercy. It's based on his mercy. And that's good news for us. Because like David, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each do his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquities of us all. This shows the mercy of God. The mercy of God. I want to remind you of two other passages just to hammer home the fact that God rescues his people. God rescues us as Christians from all sorts of enemies. One of the banners over that... Our final glorification, when we're finally glorified, when we see him as he is and we become like him. One of the final banners over our life will be, God, you rescued me. You rescued me from myself. You rescued me from others. You rescued me from temptations. You rescued me from this evil world. You rescued me. Listen to how, it says, yeah, how it's said here in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Second Peter chapter 2. listen listen to the four ifs and then a then so if if this happened if this happened if this happened if this happened then this must happen follow that logic okay second peter 2 verse 4 you can just listen this is talking about god sparing and rescuing his own people. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if If he did this, if he did this, if he did this, if he did this, if he judged the wicked here, if he rescued the godly here, if he judged the wicked there, if he rescued the godly here, then, 1 Peter 2 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. I hope that some of you hold on to that verse today. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He knows how, and He's been doing it for millennia. He still knows how. Find comfort there. But what about when it's my own sin? I know that He can rescue me from the sins of others. Listen to Isaiah 46. Isaiah, the people of Israel, have turned to other nations to protect them. Does that sound familiar? David, the people of Israel, later in their history, you'd think they'd learn, but no. They turn to other people other than God to protect them and give them security. We do the same types of things. Turning to other people to find security. They turn to other nations. They turn to the idols of other nations. And the book of Isaiah details this, plays it out. Listen to Isaiah 46. God has just told the nation of Israel, I'm going to save you. You haven't trusted me. You've gone after idols. But I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring a king to you from the east, and I'll even give you his name ahead of time. His name's Cyrus. I'm going to bring a king Cyrus to bring you out of captivity. I'm going to save you through a pagan king. I'm going to save you through an ungodly Gentile. Like God saving David, even at the hands of the Philistines because of their decisions. So God says that he's going to save his people by Cyrus. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 46, starting in verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who've been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. So he's saying there's a remnant of you. Not, not all Israel is saved by God. There's a remnant of you that I am saving. And listen, what is true of that remnant? They've been born from him. He's the one that created them. Before your birth, carried from the womb. He's been guiding them all along. He's been caring for them all along. Even if they sin against him, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Verse 4, even to your old age, I am he, and to your great hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. That's God speaking to a people who've been rebellious, but that he still says, I committed to you then, I'm committed to you to the end. That's the character of God. And don't believe that liberal garbage that the Old Testament is showing an angry, wrathful God. No, look at this merciful God in the Old Testament. He's merciful to Israel. He's merciful to David. And Israel didn't deserve it. David doesn't deserve it. He's still merciful today. I don't deserve it. He's still merciful to me and to you. He started our salvation in the beginning. He'll carry it through to the end. If something started in eternity past where he looked at us and said he's predestined us before the foundation of the world, nothing in 2021 or 22 or 23 or a few years is going to separate us from that eternal plan. What he starts, he finishes. Find your salvation in the mercy of God, not in your perfect obedience. Find your salvation in this God. If you're not a Christian and You're here. I I hope that you see in 1 Samuel 29 that God is good. God is good to his people. Even when his people are not perfect and don't always trust him, God is merciful to his people. And there's something special about being in God's family. Saul rejected God totally, and judgment came upon Saul. David trusted in God, worshiped God, and had moments in his life where he didn't. And God was still merciful to him. There's something that 1 Samuel shows us about being one of God's people. And how even when you sin, even when you go astray, he holds you. He cares for you. I, if you're not a Christian, I want you so desperately to have that security today the security of being kept in the hands of God, Him overcoming the consequences of your sin, dying for your sin in Jesus Christ, rising from the dead to give you life and to give you hope, and knowing that when you reach heaven, it will be because of what He did for you, because of His mercy to you, and not because of what you could have ever done for Him. God saves. He's a merciful God. I would read to you this verse and have you think about this. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. Sounds like Saul. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe in his name, believe in his power, believe that he dies for sinners and gives them righteousness. Believe that he keeps them from beginning to end and believe that he brings you home to glory because of what he's done in his mercy. And you will be a child of God. So we see God's rescuing work shown to us in two ways this morning: God's mysterious rescuing and God's merciful rescuing. There's a song that we sing often at canyon at this church to remind us of God's grip on us, and we love the song. He will hold me fast. We're going to sing it after we partake of the Lord's table and remember His death for us, so we'll sing it in a moment, but I wanted to show you uh, a video of how that song came back into um, our popular culture today. It was an old song. Not many people knew it. I didn't know it before it was brought back just a few years ago. And it was brought back by a a hymn writer, Matt Merker, who added some lyrics and added the the tune that we sing even today to it. Uh, Matt in this video, just two-minute video, tells why he wanted us to sing, He Will Hold Me Fast, and it's it's very personal to him. And I thought, you know, as I was singing, He Will Hold Me Fast, and as Josh and I communicated about the, the songs for today, I thought, God is holding David fast. God is rescuing David from Himself and from the Philistines. What a great day to sing, he will hold me fast. So I want you to hear a little bit of the background and hopefully that helps you to enjoy not just the song more, but the God behind the song. Uh, it's, it's a little video that was given at, as a kind of a, a promotion for the Together for the Gospel Conference like f- a couple years ago, so you're going to see kind of sign up, register, but just follow, follow the story and enjoy these lyrics.
1: He Will Hold Me Fast is a song that most of the words were written about a hundred years ago by a prolific hymn writer named Ada Habershon. I encountered the song in a period for me of actually struggling with a fair amount of doubt and questions. I've seen a few people that I've loved deeply and known closely. Who have actually turned their backs on Christ. I was in a season like that actually around the time of T4G 2012. John Piper preached on the doxology there at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God but Piper so powerfully preached that even as we hold on to God it is God who by his sovereign grace is holding even more firmly onto us. So Jesus reminds us in John's Gospel that All who come to him will never be turned away, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. It was around that time that I encountered the words of that old hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. I didn't hear it being sung to its old traditional tune, so I sat down at the piano. I just thought, this is a song that I need to be singing. There is a place in the Christian life for running to the Lord and saying, I believe Help My Unbelief. I praise God if that song has been able to encourage anyone else out there who is seeking to trust that Christ will indeed hold you to the end. He will. Let
0: me pray for us. Father, we trust in your power to bring us home. We trust in your power to rescue us. I pray for those who are in a difficult season, having a difficult day, week, month, year, life, that you would remind us of your grip on us, your care for us, your mercy, and even the mystery in how you work. We can trust you. The cross reminds us of that. We can trust you even in our darkest day to bring us home. We pray for encouragement today.